This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're in the uh, second week of Israel's murderous and terrorist reign of death and destruction on Palestinians, men, women, and children in the Gaza Strip right now. 200 Palestinians have been killed, 55 children, 38 women, uh, 1,300 Palestinians wounded, including 262 women and close to 400 children, and just hundreds and hundreds of homes have been destroyed. Infrastructures under uh, is completely attacked with water and sewage being barely functional right now. There is a COVID surge in Gaza as a result of Israelis' destruction uh, and murderous rampage uh, in Gaza. And of course, on top of this, Jamal, in the midst of all of the Israeli aggression that's being directed towards uh, Palestinian civilians, you have one of the most grotesque insults, again, to the president of the United States, the person who's responsible for giving the apartheid regime of Israel most of its military and economic aid, Benjamin Netanyahu basically told President Joe Biden to go F himself uh, on two separate occasions this week. So it looks like the situation is very grave and very dire, as it has been for Palestinians, Jamal. Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Jess. Uh, there, is, uh, there are talks about a ceasefire, uh, at least uh, maybe by the time we air this show or in the next 48 hours. I don't know if this is uh, going to happen, but this is uh, based on uh, some sources from Egypt, Egypt, uh, which has been mediating to bring out uh, about a ceasefire. So we don't know, uh, but uh, the death has been her- horrendous, uh, Jess. We're going to talk about it in more details we have a guest uh, journalist uh, who's going to talk about what's happening on the ground. Our guest uh, is Abby Martin. She's a journalist and the creator of the Empire Files. And also in 2019, uh, she directed a, the documentary Gaza Fights for Freedom, which, uh, which now has been re-released for free right. on, on YouTube. So people can go to YouTube and watch it. Let's uh, uh, watch the interview with uh, Abby Martin. Millions of Palestinians heeded the call for a national strike in historic Palestine, and there were confrontations as Palestinians joined protests at flashpoints on a day of rage uh, to vent anger over the deadly strikes on Gaza. The Palestinian death toll in Gaza due to Israeli airstrikes climbed to more than 200, including more than 60 children, according to local health ministry officials. In the West Bank, at least 15 Palestinians have been killed since Friday. Joining us to discuss this and more, journalist and creator of the Empire Files, Abby Martin. Welcome to Arab Talk, Abby. Thank you so much for having me, Jamal. In 2019, you directed the documentary, Gaza Fights for Freedom, now re-released for free on YouTube. When you watch what's happening now in Gaza, what comes to your mind? Just utter heartbreak above all, I think, Jamal. I mean, as a parent, um, as someone who has friends on the ground in Gaza, as I'm sure your viewers can appreciate and probably share the sentiment that it is just it's difficult to do anything. I mean, it's difficult to sleep. It's difficult to eat. It's difficult to go throughout your day knowing that people are living trapped in this area and being besieged um, and bombarded with heavy munitions all throughout the day and night, um, holding their children and hoping that they'll survive for the next day. It's something that is just absolutely blood curdling when you see these images that are coming out of uh, deceased children babies, uh, that one image of the baby who survived the Al-Shati refugee camp bombing. And I I don't know why that struck me more than anything. I think just seeing a child who was very, very little, a little baby, um, knowing that their entire family nearly has been wiped out. And this baby will now be an orphan. And it will grow up knowing at some point that Israel is responsible for their entire family being gone. 
And that's just really hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we can't keep up with all the, the images and, and the pictures and the death toll. But uh, as you know, as Gaza uh, is getting bombed, uh, President Biden approved $735 million worth of precision guided weapons to, to be sold to Israel. Uh, the sale uh, uh, concerns some uh, House Democrats who have uh, pressed administration to limit uh, support uh, for the Israeli government, uh, but uh, not, not that many, I mean, uh, on both sides of the aisle. Does Biden have uh, no empathy towards Palestinian children? Uh, I mean, is he tone deaf? I mean, this is the eternal question, right? What is... What is going through Biden's mind? Um, is he a robot? I, I, I look at him and I just think, how could you possibly allow these atrocities to continue? Because let's get something straight. As you just mentioned, um, you know, Biden approved this weapons sale amid, amid the most horrific massacre in recent history. I mean, 200 Palestinians gone, 60 children dead. And Biden is rushing through this nearly billion-dollar arms sale of precision-guided munitions, quote-unquote special munitions. Um, you know, the U.S. could stop this today. The U.S. has all of the power. They could immediately turn around and say, no, we're going to condition aid. We're going to leverage our power and say you have to adhere to international law and you have to adhere to a ceasefire. And in fact, what you see is the opposite being done, not only approving this extraordinarily giant weapons sale on top of the $10 million, that's be $10 million every day that's being used by U.S. taxpayers to subsidize the apartheid state. Um, but beyond that, Biden himself, Biden's administration has blocked three international attempts for a ceasefire in the past week alone. Uh, this has gone beyond just turning a blind eye. This is... Um, absolute complicity. Every single death that happens, the blood is on Biden's hands. Um, and not only that, you know, after Biden's first statement, after I think 30 kids had died, uh, Biden had a phone call with Netanyahu. And he basically said, you know, I do not think that Israel overreacted at all or acted disproportionately at all. And those were the words that Netanyahu needed to hear. That was the green light that, that Netanyahu needed because Netanyahu turned around and had a speech ready for his cabinet and military officials where he said, Biden has given us the green light. This operation can go as long as we want to. And so all the political pressure, though, Jamal, I mean, you mentioned these congresswomen who are, you know, part of the squad who are now pressuring Biden. And then, of course, we saw historic protests mounting all across the United States, all around the world, as well as this incredible strike happening in Palestine as we speak. Biden is feeling that pressure. Biden is feeling that pressure. And the backlash that he received for this unconditional support that he pledged made him amend his statement now and say, okay, fine. Uh, the pressure is on you need to find a solution, he told Netanyahu. Well, guess what? That doesn't mean that he has empathy at all. That just means that he's feeling the political pressure and that pressure works. Pressure works and activists need to take that to heart. Um, but it is sad and disheartening to see that, you know, so few Congress people are really sticking their necks out here. And even the good ones still have to start every statement condemning the rocket fire by Hamas, uh, when really we know so much precedes the rockets every time. Last uh, year uh, in February, you were banned from speaking at Georgia uh, Southern University after you refused to sign a pledge uh, not to boycott Israel. Civil rights groups have called the move unconstitutional and filed a lawsuit uh, against the university. Recently, uh, because you were speaking about this pressure, the international, I mean, this is the largest human rights organization, right? Human Rights Watch, and then also the Israeli human rights organization, Beth Salem, said that Israel practices what you've said, apartheid. Uh, something stood out uh, to me uh, during your press conference after that uh, event. Uh, that uh, when you said you were asked to contractually pledge loyalty to a foreign country. Uh, please explain. Absolutely. I think a lot of people would be completely appalled to learn that 30 or so states here, Jamal, in the United States have passed anti-BDS legislation 
which essentially mandates that people who are working as independent contractors for the state, whether you're a substitute teacher, whether you're a construction worker, or whether you're giving a keynote address at a public university like I was scheduled to do, are given contracts. Within these contracts is a clause that says you need to pledge fealty to the state of Israel in order to work. You need to actually forfeit your constitutionally protected First Amendment right, not only the right to free speech, to freely criticize and talk about Israel and Israeli apartheid, but also forfeit your peacefully protected, I'm sorry, constitutionally protected First Amendment right to boycott. Uh, Participating in political boycotts is something that's fundamental uh, to freeing people from systemic racism, as we saw with the Montgomery bus boycotts and taking down Jim Crow apartheid. Of course, this was fundamental in taking down apartheid in South Africa. So, of course, I could not sign away uh, my morality um, just to work in the state. But that is exactly what these laws are designed to do. And I think that what it really points to is the fear in the heart of the Israeli apartheid regime that knows that peaceful boycotts and the pressure that needs to be mounted internationally is what will inevitably take them down. And so they have tried to and, and successfully done so, passed so many laws criminalizing this activity because they know that's the next fight um, and that's where the struggle is mounting next. Um, it is very disturbing because I, I, I encourage people to replace the word Israel or the entity Israel with Russia. And think about how cartoonish and outrageous it sounds if you were given a contract slated to work in one such state and were told that you can never um, boycott the state of Russia or the, the mm-hmm. country of Russia. And then you had Putin bragging about the fact that he passed all these laws, right? Wouldn't that be a very clear-cut case of foreign interference in our democracy, as we hear so often from corporate media about Putin and Russia interfering and subverting our democracy? Well, this is exactly what happened, because Netanyahu has has taken to Twitter bragging about the fact that they have worked very hard, very diligently to pass these laws. And he was actually threatening economic consequences for people who are trying to take down these laws. In fact, right after I filed my lawsuit, Netanyahu tweeted, whoever boycotts us will be boycotted. I mean, it's just absolutely shocking that you have a foreign leader threatening American citizens um, in such a way. I mean, I mean, you know, it took uh, 38 years for the United States to distance itself from apartheid South Africa. Uh, and and so I'm not surprised about this. I mean, of course, it's taking it uh, here much longer. But do you think? I mean, you know, talking about the is uh, the Israeli lobby, APEC, and all that pressure. And now, where you have all these facts, you're having the Human Rights Organization, you're having Beth Salem, you have uh, you're having the International uh, uh, Criminal Court uh, going after Israel. Do you think this will play any role in swaying at least a percentage of the American politicians to start seeing Israel for what it is? I do think that it is an opening and this is a breakthrough moment, especially because this isn't just another bombardment of Gaza um, where they can shield all of their and deflect all of their atrocities and war crimes in this absurd notion that everyone who they kill is a human shield. But I think people for the first time are seeing with their own eyes this ethnic cleansing campaign. I mean, what happened in Sheikh Jarrah that preceded the bombardment of Gaza was quite startling, I think, to a lot of Americans. And there is a mass consciousness that is completely on fire and spreading very rapidly right now. People are primed to finally learn the situation for themselves People's distrust in the corporate media has fallen at an all-time low, and so they're turning to alternative media networks to learn the truth, like your show, Jamal, like Empire Files. Um, And unfortunately, U.S. politicians, and as we know, I mean, U.S. uh, or corporate-owned media, rather, essentially acts as an arm of the Pentagon. I mean, when it comes to this situation... Uh, the complicity is is absolutely breathtaking um, in terms of how the media become state stenographers um, when it comes to talking about this. I mean, Palestinians are, are always talked about in the passive voice 
Um, they always talk about the people who died are militants. And they always just paint it as this very complicated conflict based on religion that's as old as time. And there's really no solution to it. Um, and until Americans get educated and apply kind of critical media literacy to this information, um, we won't be able to hold our politicians accountable because politicians in the United States know that they need to toe this line, right? A lot of them don't have really empathy for anyone that's being oppressed and subjugated by U.S. foreign policy around the world, right? We know who the anti-imperialists are and we know who the anti-war figures are in Congress, and it's very few and far between. I think that the majority of politicians and the majority of people who get into U.S. politics know um, that there's certain things that you can't talk about, and they're just fine with that. They're fine ascribing to the orthodoxy of U.S. capitalism and U.S. imperialism and empire in order to maintain power. These people are kind of power hungry, if you think about it. I mean, who really gets into politics being driven by social justice? Um, certainly not hundreds of people in the sea of Congress that, I mean, you can kind of know who I'm talking about here. It's, it's few and far between who really do hold these values up as sacred and dear. So um, if we want these politicians to feel the fire and feel the pressure, it has to be mounted in the streets, mobilizing um, the struggle in a grassroots way that really connects Black Lives Matter to the immigrant detention camps, to the fact that we don't have health care because everything's being squandered on this military machine that subsidizes things like Yemen genocide and apartheid in Israel. And until we kind of get that mass consciousness behind us and start building the resistance to it um, and showing up, right, we can't let these politicians have a moment of peace until they fall on the right side of history. Um, but they're not going to do it alone, Jamal. They have to feel that, and that has to come from us. And so I think the next step, even though we all feel completely outraged and we're all reading the, this, the news every day about what's going on, I think that we really need to get out of our comfort zones and figure out how can we take this to the streets and link up with each other, each other to figure out the next uh, step of action here. Well, you talked about actually us, and us, I, I refer to us as the real media. Some like to call us the alternative media because the mainstream media, I mean, is failing. I mean, what, what role do journalists have to play when you see the headlines in the New York Times or editorials by Brett Stephen, Stevens? <laughs> and, and then recently I saw a, uh, instructions uh, posted by Deutsche Welle, DW, I don't know if you saw that, uh, instructing its uh, reporters not to use the word colonialism, not uh, when referring to Israeli settlers, not to use uh, apartheid. I mean, how can we uh, move the pendulum to at least to the side of truth? It's disgusting, Jamal. I mean, and let's just really quickly, before we get into what you just said, talk about what the corporate media does to pretend and cover for these crimes. I mean, the fact that Israel can just claim that everyone's a human shield in Gaza and right. And so it doesn't matter the doctors who are bombed, these trauma doctors um, whose houses were deliberately targeted by Israeli munitions, entire families wiped out, refugee camps, the roads to the hospitals, uh, schools, shelters, a marketplace, all of these things are justified in the eyes of Israel and, of course, backed and endorsed by the U.S. because of the notion that they are all human shields um, for Hamas militants. Now, any country that kills civilians in mass like this would be subject to an investigation. You can't just use this phrase human shield and get it and get a out of jail free card. I mean, it's interesting the evidence that they actually use to provide for this too, because it's just doctored images and fake videos that are either from Syria or previous conflicts to justify the ongoing bombing. Um, and even if you look at Israel's own history using this claim, you can just look at something like the Great March of Return, which of course Gaza Fights for Freedom is based on. They actually said that almost 200 people that were killed with sniper fire during those protests that were peaceful were also human shields for Hamas militants. Now, I can tell you that there were no Hamas militants at the march. There were no weapons. Uh, we combed through hundreds of hours of footage and saw several uh, people getting 
killed deliberately, uh, and this includes protected categories of the Geneva Conventions, children as young as 11, medics administering medical aid, journalists, and disabled people in wheelchairs, there is absolutely no proof that any of them were human shields for Hamas militants. So the fact they have lied about this in the past and continue to use this claim should make them completely untrustworthy. Uh, not to mention that there's 2 million people packed in this densely populated area that can't leave. Um, so I think that you know, using terms like colonialism and apartheid, it's so clear cut and obvious. And the fact that corporate media is actually forbidding people to speak about the clear nature of this quote unquote conflict, I think speaks volumes. They want to continue to obfuscate and cloud people's reality. I mean, that that's a very troubling development, especially as you mentioned, when you have Human Rights Watch, right? Some An organization run by Ken Roth, someone who you cannot call <laughs> someone who has not, uh, you know, both sides this conflict for quite some time. Human Rights Watch constantly talks about the crimes going on within the Gaza Strip, constantly condemns Hamas. And the fact that they even came out with this conclusive investigation saying that Israel is an apartheid state, I think really shows you the pendulum has shifted and the needle has uh, has moved very dramatically so. So despite the corporate media towing the same line, no matter what Israel dies, does, despite U.S. politicians pledging unconditional support for Israel, the public consciousness has shifted, Jamal. You can look at a recent Gallup poll that interviewed Democratic Party supporters about Israel-Palestine. This is a poll that has been taken for the last 15 years. And for the very first time this year, the majority of Democratic voters said that Israel is the one that needs to be pressured to end the quote-unquote conflict, not Palestine. It shows you how strong the movement has been. The fact that Bernie Sanders in the 2020 uh, Democratic primary election was talking about leveraging aid for Israel, right? Withdrawing illegal settlements to the 1967 borders. Um, these things are pretty powerful sentiments. Um, the fact that he has even been speaking about these things shows you how strong the movement is. I mean, Bernie Sanders in 2014 could barely muster condemnation for the carpet bombing of Gaza at that moment. So the pressure is happening. It is mounting. It is reaching a point of no return. It's been bubbling under the surface for years and years and years. And I think we're finally seeing the effects of that spill over. We're at a breaking point. The dam has broken and Israel no longer controls the narrative at all. And this really comes down to public education because because of the problematic nature of the coverage from the media, we have to relearn what we weren't taught, right? Growing up about what Israel is, what it means to the U.S. empire, how it's a geostrategic um, military outpost for U.S. empire, and also just what it, what the nature of, of the situation really is, right? It's a, a colonial, settler colonial state that is... Uh, fundamentally necessitates the ongoing ethnic cleansing and expulsion of the indigenous people living there. And that means violently purging them from their homes. Um, and I think that moreover, the notion of being a liberal Zionist, the notion that you can be liberal or progressive and still support the state of Israel, I think is also fading um, because more and more people are realizing that this notion of a two-state solution, something that Israeli politicians have not even entertained for the last decade plus, um, and that still continues to be hoisted up as this facade by U.S. politicians, more and more people are realizing that doesn't make sense. Because once you understand that this is an apartheid state and 5 million residents are deprived and denied basic democratic rights, then you have to ask yourself, what is the solution? Well, in a country that's allegedly founded on freedom and democracy, um, you would think that the majority of Americans, once they learn will acknowledge and will agree that the only solution is uh, one person, one vote, where everyone living in this area has equal democratic rights. Um, and so that's where we're at, Jamal. And I think that once people really realize that and they see more and more um, from what Palestinians are filming themselves, for the first time, Palestinians are showing the world their reality. The advent of social media has really taken off. Um, and that's why you have Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz going to TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and begging them to actually start censoring this content because they know they're losing the narrative and the information war. They've already lost it. 
And it's just a matter of time before that consciousness continues to spread and people just say no more. And it's not going to be a tenable position for, for politicians any longer until they stand on the right side of this. Abby's documentary, Gaza Fights for Freedom, is available for free on YouTube. We urge our audience to watch it. Go ahead and watch it. Just It's right there. You learn a lot. I mean, this is something that happened before what's going on now. And of course, I actually don't have the time to talk about your 2017 interviews because you also spoke to the Israeli public. And then when people saw um, Israelis marching in the streets of Jerusalem, chanting death to Arabs, they were uh, shocked and they said, oh, that's only a fringe element. But in, in your interviews, it's really not a fringe element. Abby Martin, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you so much for having me, Jamal. Well, that's the voice and the face of uh, international journalist Abby Martin, Jamal, giving a very uh, compelling kind of interpretation and analysis of the situation on the ground in Gaza and in Palestine in general. The media complicity, Jamal, the media complicity in supporting the Israeli military, in framing the Israeli narrative to the U.S. Uh, and the world you know, population is beyond uh, insulting and horrendous in terms of how it's being pitched still. It's hard to wrap our minds around how the New York Times and the AP, despite having a building flattened and destroyed with media, continue to support this murderous rampage by the Israeli military. Well, you know, we go back to the same old uh, narrative, Jess, which is, uh, as always, uh, when it comes to the Israel and the Palestinians, the narrative that APEC and its surrogates uh, in the U.S. want you to believe is that right. Israel is sim simply defending itself against a new attack. No one asks uh, why is war in Gaza returning now and why does it always seem to return? You know, they don't ask this question. It's just like this is, they're just like parrots. They, they take the Israeli narrative, including, you know, because you've mentioned, uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden and, and, and the administration itself. And by the way, there is something different. We'll talk about it uh, further, despite uh, there, there is an inching toward uh, the Democratic Party's left, I would say, left flank of the Democratic Party. Now they're kind of uh, trying to have some pushback. However, the Biden administration fell back, you know, to its usual formula, the narrative, the apex narrative, uh, offering a, a robotic, I would say, recitation, right. like robots, right. Israel's right to defend itself. You know, it's so, and, and I'm but talking... It's so bogus, Jamal. It's bogus. We had the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, giving the same, uh, you know, hackneyed... Uh, talking points about Israel defending itself and, you know, and Joe Biden. But the point that I keep wanting to drive home, the United States is Israel's biggest political and economic uh, benefactor, giving Israel political cover, economic support and military support, sharing intelligence. And when the United States tells Benjamin Netanyahu and Joe Blink, when Joe Biden and Antony Blinken tell Netanyahu, we want a ceasefire. And Netanyahu goes on national Israeli TV and saying, basically, go F yourself, Joe Biden in the United States. That, to me, is extraordinary that the brazenness and brazenness that Benjamin Netanyahu has to tell the president of the United States to go F off. Why aren't more Americans up in arms about being disrespected in this profound way by the Israelis, Jamal? I, I have a simple answer to you, Jess. They've gotten used to it. That's the simple answer. The simple answer is that they've gotten used to it. They've gotten used to shelling out every uh, year uh, close to $4 billion uh, to Israel, plus all these law guarantees. No one raises uh, an, an objection. I mean, here we are in the midst of a crisis, a global crisis, COVID and so forth. Do you think the military aid to Israel will stop 
when millions of Americans are on unemployment. And food stamps. And we have 30% of children in the United States, Jamal, going to bed hungry while we're supporting the apartheid regime of Israel and its war machine that continues to decimate and destroy men, women, and children in the Gaza Strip, destroy healthcare infrastructure, and, Jamal, I want to point out, continues to ethnically cleanse Palestinians in, in and around Jerusalem. So I think one of the interesting things is that Bernie Sanders today, as you know, introduced a bill in the Senate, which is a companion bill to a House bill that uh, AOC introduced, basically saying, we don't want to send this $700 million to the Israeli war apartheid regime. And they're actually bringing this to the Senate and the House for discussion. I mean, do well, you think- I mean, it is positive, but that's why I use the word they're inching towards. I mean, it's So not- you see that as a positive? I see it as a positive. But then when we look at the number of the senators who who will support Bernie Sanders, I haven't seen uh, many names signing signing on to this uh, bill. And when I, uh, this, uh, even the, the, the one that AOC uh, introduced, uh, yeah, maybe about 100 uh, congressmen and congresswomen from the Democratic Party. But remember, you have 430 uh, members of Congress. So we haven't even reached the... 50% threshold, you know, so yeah, it's better than nothing. And it's better than having only a handful of people to have a hundred of people. So that's the positive sign, but it's not enough. It is not enough to stop Israeli aggression on its heels. It's not enough to convince someone like Benjamin Netanyahu when the president of the United States picks up uh, the phone and calls him and says, you might, you should uh, stop bombing Gaza or you should end hostilities, he will say, oh, thank you for supporting us, Mr. President. Israel will defend itself. And if you look at the whole progress, uh, just we haven't even gotten to this point, except for all the pressure, I mean, I mean, with... All due respect, President Biden has been torn deaf, I mean, from day one by, like I said, uh, repeating the Israeli Hasbara and the Israeli talking points to even having a little bit when they, they got questioned when uh, on Thursday, he said he hadn't seen a significant overreaction from Israel. These Unbelievable. Are, these are Joe Biden words. Unbelievable. And then, and then he, you know, he saw the... Built by uh, AOC, uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib, she, she met him on the tarmac, remember, in, in Detroit, to yeah. talk, in Michigan, to talk to him, to say, you got to do something about this. He's been listening to all these voices, and yet he hasn't put his foot down. We give Israel $12 billion when you add all the loan guarantees and everything else. He should say, do it now, and he is capable of doing it now, but he won't. That's exactly right, Jamal. And I, I think when we look at the failure of the Biden administration, I mean, they've done a lot of things on the progressive agenda that that need to be commended, of course, in terms of how they manage the, the, the COVID pandemic and economic reform. But when it comes to the question of Israeli aggression and the apartheid regime there, and being able to hold the Israelis to an international standard, which the rest of the world wants to do, Jamal. The EU wants to do this. The rest of the world wants to do this. The ICC has already has said that they're looking into and will look into the war crimes that uh, the Israeli military are committing in Gaza right now. This will go down in Joe Biden's administration and presidency as a complete lack of of moral fiber and a complete failure on, you know, the political front. Who talks that way to the president of the United States, Jamal? No other world leader could tell the president of the United States to F off without having significant consequences. So this will be a stain on Joe Biden's presidency and his administration, uh, you know, in the history books. Well, it happened before. So Joe Biden was 
Barack Obama's vice president. And this That's is right. Benjamin Netanyahu. And we've talked about this That's several right. times on this show, Jess, <clears throat> when he decided to come and address a joint session of Congress without even an invitation from the president of the United States. He circumvented the, the president of the United States was a slap in the face. I mean, everybody, even uh, people who were against Obama saw that, that this was uh, a major insult. But as long as you have Israel, APEC, and its surrogates in Congress who are willing to basically take marching orders from Tel Aviv and not from Washington, D.C., you're going to have the same problem. And that's why when I started just talking about it and I said, they keep talking about, oh, Gaza, like all of a sudden, like Gazans love to, you know, fight Israel or, or, or launch uh, so-called rockets towards, uh, um, you know, Israeli uh, strongholds and so forth. And they don't talk about what prompted this. They don't talk about the tension. That's right. The tensions that had, had uh, been building for months, you know, with the uh, threatened eviction of Palestinian families from Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, in, in Jerusalem. And why? Why is this happening? I mean, just like a simple thing, because people, you know, pro protests have been taking uh, taking right. place for months. They've been getting uh, larger and larger. But most importantly, you have to put this into context. What is so important about Sheikh Jarrah and why the Palestinian family is being have faced this eviction in the first place. No one asks this question. They make it like, oh, a real estate kind of uh, transaction. And no one talks about the illegal colonial settlements around Jerusalem and in the fact and why Israel is so pushing hard to ethnically cleanse these 70 families in, in Sheikh Jarrah is basically to complete its final link that's Final right. link to basically encircle Jerusalem, East Jerusalem. And that's the final link. That's, that's right. They've been building that up, building on the hills. And now once, once they take over Sheikh Jarrah, they connect the link and then Jerusalem will be totally isolated. Jerusalem will be judified as they are planning to. And it will never be, uh, you know, in their minds, the capital of a Palestinian uh, future state. But and you're entirely right, Jamal. This is the issue that is not being discussed in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in the AP, in the mainstream media. People have lost sight of what's happening in Jerusalem. People have lost sight about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. They already have forgotten that the Israelis uh, shot and killed people in Jerusalem, in the holy, uh, you know, uh, sanctuary, shot and killed people who were praying during the holiest month uh, for Muslims in the world during Ramadan, and and committed this this kind of act of terrorism for worshippers in Jerusalem, as well as just Palestinians trying to lead a normal life. And this is exactly as you said, Jamal. The context to this day, you won't see anything about Sheikh Jarrah. You won't see anything about the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in Jerusalem. But, and I do want to get your opinion on this, I believe that there's something more important than missiles coming from uh, Gaza. There's something more important than all of the political posturing that's going on. The thing that is really compelling to me, Jamal, is that we see Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship, who are living in 1948, and Palestinians in the West Bank, and Palestinians in Gaza, and Palestinians all over the world, finally coming together as a collective and calling out the apartheid regime of Israel. When have you seen Palestinians in 1948, Jamal, the last time these Palestinians, who are also carry Israeli citizenship, even though they're third-class citizens, protest and demand and confront the Israeli apartheid regime the way they have this last week. It, I think this is a significant development. It is a significant uh, development, Jess, and, and, and Palestinians, uh, we, we, we refer to them as 1948 Palestinians, 
uh, have supported their, their brothers and sisters, not with this intensity and not with this coordination. That's right. the difference. For 73 years, Jess, Israel has tried to erase Palestinian identity, just like they have been erasing Palestinian towns and villages. They have tried. I mean, this is the that's and they've not only erased the identity by fra but also fracture it. And what I talk about fracturing it is by making these different tiers of uh, Palestinians, Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship. That was enforced on them. They didn't ask for it. The that's Israel right. landed on top of them rather than they they did not come from somewhere else into Israel. Immigrant. They are the indigenous people there. So they even, even as uh, citizens, they never refer to them as Palestinians. They refer to them as Israeli Arabs, like as if Arabs from Arabia, the Arabian <laughs> Peninsula, or, or some neighboring countries Just came magically and showed up. Yeah, magically, magically showed, showed up. up. That they're not indigenous. What they have, have proven now, when you see the towns of Haifa, Jaffa, Akka, Sekhnin, Lid, Ramle, you name it. They are flying the Palestinian flag and not the Israeli flag. That's they right. have been reasserting their identity, saying we are Palestinians. And I'm talking about how, is, how Israel create, tried to create this tear and, and then again fracture and, and try eventually erase Palestinian identity. You have the, the um, Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. Re they refer to them as Arabs, you know, Isra with Israeli citizenship. Then you have the West Bank. They put them under the Palestinian Authority, so-called. And then you have the people in Gaza locked in the largest open-air prison. And then you have the refugees living around the world, you know. So you have all these multi-level and different tiers of Palestinians, and they all came together. This time, that's I see the difference, that whether they are in diaspora, whether they are in Gaza, whether they are in Jerusalem, whether they are in Jaffa, Haifa, they all felt the pain of the people in Gaza. And they are saying, enough is enough. And that's the biggest blow to this whole Israeli scheme to erase Palestinian identity. That That's exactly right, Jamal. And that's why I think it's such a significant development because what you're hearing Israeli pundits say for the first time that I, I remember with such concern is that Israel and the Israelis are facing what they have are calling civil war, you know, a war within that... Um, you know, Palestinians from 1948 are rising up and not going to accept being second-class, third-class, fourth-class citizens and are not going to stand by while their brothers and sisters in Gaza and the West Bank are being massacred, killed, and ethnically cleansed. This is the biggest development politically I think we've seen in recent memory, Jamal, and I expect, because. and, and by the way, just to get further into the analysis of it, you know, right wing extremely right what right wing extremist Israeli terrorism, there's no other way to call it, white supremacist Israelis are still going around all of these towns, Jamal, and trying to lynch Palestinians in with Israeli citizenship, burning down their homes, attacking their businesses saying kill all Arabs, graffiti like that is, you know, in Hebrew everywhere right now. So it's not like the extremist groups, the Israeli extremist groups have been toned down by Netanyahu. They've actually flourished under Netanyahu. So this is a pretty big development. And I think humbly, it's a bigger issue and a bigger development than, than any rocket that can come from Gaza. This is all correct, uh, just uh, except our guest from two weeks ago, Miko Peled, uh, will disagree with you about referring to, to them as just the right uh, wing or right, right wing fringe element. Right. What he's saying, what he said, that it's really the vast majority of the Israeli right. public. That's right. their attitude. I mean, you get with a very few uh, small percentage who are, uh, uh, you know, pro-Palestinians or anti-Zionist and they, they call for a, a one state, etc. That's a very, but the rest of them, he said, don't keep referring to them as a fringe element. That's the Israeli society. Huh. And, and he should know better, right? Right. So why is Joe Biden, 
Why are all these senators and congressmen supporting an apartheid regime where the bulk of the population is allowed to say death to Arabs, burn their homes, attempt to lynch them in, in 2021, and you have senators like Tom Cotton and Congress congressmen and women who go to the floor and say, we need to support our strongest ally in the region. It's maddening to see the support for a racist apartheid regime just come forward in this context of so many men, women, and children being killed, injured, and maimed at this time. Especially since they've already received a copy of the Human Rights Watch report, which basically says Israel is an apartheid state, which I'm sure they've also read and analyzed the report by Beth Salem, an Israeli human rights organization, also saying that Israel is an apartheid state. So they, they're basically, they're almost aiding and abetting a criminal. I mean, this yeah. is, when you have all the evidence, the Biden administration just is acting as if uh, the past several years or decades, the past 73 years uh, have not happened. They basically keep repeating the same mistakes of their predecessors, always like, oh, it's the latest conflicts. And then, in fact, they they hope, hoping for a ceasefire will will bring an end to hostilities and bring calm. But But what's a ceasefire? But Jamal, what's a ceasefire going to do? Really? Exactly. This is this is they keep playing this game. They they think okay, once a, every few years uh, hostilities will flare up, will bring a ceasefire. But they don't talk about solutions. They just assume that Palestinians will live under oppression, don't complain, don't make any trouble, accept that the oppression is happening, accept apartheid is there, accept everything that their land is getting stolen from, from underneath them. And, and, and just, just, just if they only remain quiet and calm, that's, that's what they're hoping that will happen. Well, I have breaking- It's like really asking a, a woman, and I hate to make that analogy, to stay calm after she gets raped, not to file charges, not to fight her rapist, not to say a word. And that's what they're, they have been expecting from Palestinians to do for the past 73 years. That's exactly right, Jamal. And I, I think that's a very appropriate uh, analogy. But And I will extend it and say, it's like saying to African-Americans, just accept being oppressed, just accept being killed by you know, uh, the police just, you know, you should just accept all the oppression and racism that comes your way. No one will accept that, Jamal. I have breaking news for Netanyahu, the apartheid Israeli regime, and for Joe Biden. Palestinians are never going to accept oppression. They're never going to accept ethnic cleansing, and they will never accept uh, their homes being destroyed and removed from their homes ever again. So, uh, you know, the idea that the political endpoint here, Jamal, is somehow a ceasefire is such a joke. Because if you remember in 2014, there were, what, five or six ceasefires uh, that the Israelis agreed to, and they went and reneged on the ceasefires on multiple occasions. Why should the United States or any uh anybody or any country in the world trust the apartheid regime of Israel. They 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 may stop temporarily, Jamal, but the prison in Gaza, the ethnic cleansing in Jerusalem, the disrespect of a so-called Palestinian citizen to be denied equal rights, uh, you know, under the law, that has and will never change until more pressure is put on the Israeli regime. You're absolutely right. And I would say the only silver lining that I see, not the ceasefire, because you and I, of course, we want to see a ceasefire because we don't want to see of course. that of course. Palestinian children. And that's what has been happening. It's not going to bring any justice to Palestinian as long as you as, 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 as long as there is no ending to the occupation, ending to the ethnic cleansing, ending to, uh, to apartheid. The only silver lining, I would say, aside from that now you have more politicians who are, uh, you know, taking a stand, is that 
the narrative, the Israeli Hasbara, we always talk about the propaganda, yeah. is failing miserably. It is. They're failing miserably. It I is. I mean, from all ends. If you see, and that's because, and thanks to technology, because the world is able to see the plight of Palestinians through a simple camera and through social media and, and, and what have you. And that's what's bringing the outrage and that's what's bringing the images in real time to people TVs and, and computer screens that they can see. They don't have to rely on the mainstream media and the corporate media to get their lies and to get the narratives that are imposed on them by APAC. The only thing that I'm waiting for is more and more of those journalists to stop practicing yellow journalism and, 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 and just adhere to the principles that they've studied and report the truth. I'm not asking them to be pro-Palestinian or pro this or that. Just report the truth. Well, that's a fantastic statement, Jamal, and my statement to the mainstream media. You let the Israeli military destroy the center of media and a building where, you know, international journalists are, and you continue to be a supplicant to the Israeli media talking point. You know, get some courage, get some guts. Come on now. They destroyed and killed journalists. Five Palestinian journalists have already been murdered, Jamal. And they destroyed the AP, CNN, Al Jazeera, a building that you and I have actually been at, got totally destroyed at a time when the media continues to parrot the Israeli talking points. It's disgusting. Hey, just next week, we will feature artists George Lamam and Gabrielle Navia. Nice. Who will serenade us basically with some of their Arabic fusion music. It, and it is a gift, their gift to Palestinians and Jerusalem. Uh, so so we that's need it. kind of that. Yeah, we need it. And then, uh, well, uh, you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM San Francisco. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to subscribe to our podcast for free. See you next week. We'll see you then.